Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast found at the intersection of spiritual quest and scholarly inquiry. Coming to you from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston, Massachusetts, and online at mbelibrary.org. Our topic for this episode is Women's Voices in Mormon and Christian Science History, Commonalities and Differences. I'm Jonathan Eder, host of Seekers and Scholars, and I'm so pleased to be welcoming to the podcast Dr. Jennifer Reeder. Hi, I'm delighted to be with you today. And we're delighted to have you. Just a little bit about you, Jenny. Um, you're a 19th century women's history specialist in the church history department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it, it is, but um, I've been practicing, so <laughs> I, I was up to it. And, and recently, you've been very busy producing books. You are co-editor with Dr. Janice Johnson of The Witness of Women, First-Hand Experiences and Testimonies from the Restoration, and that was published by Deseret Books in 2016. Yes. And then you um, co-edited with Dr. Kate Holbrook, at the pulpit, 185 Years of Discourses by Latter-day Saint Women. Yes. And that was published by Church Historians Press in 2017. So it's, it's been great for me to intersect with these books. I've been able to plunge deeply into Witness of Women, firsthand experiences and testimonies from the Restoration. And if you could explain what is meant by the Restoration in that title. So the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints considers itself a restorationist church, meaning in the during the Second Great Awakening, a lot of different churches were seeking the same organization and format of a church that existed in the New Testament, mm-hmm. namely with apostles and prophets and priesthood and baptism. And so like a lot of other churches, Baptists, Reformed Baptists, Alexander Campbell's Campbellite, Church of Christ, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints considers itself a restoration church, meaning it's a church of restored doctrine with a prophet and apostles. Mm. I've spoken to a few people about the book, people I've met who have a background in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mm -hmm. uh, including somebody, uh, Blair Hodges, from the Maxwell Institute at Brigham Young University. And he was explaining that this is really a a devotional book, something that's meant to be applied for gospel doctrine lessons. Um, But I found that for a non-Mormon, a non-member of the church, that it was still very compelling reading. Well, good. Uh, But if you could just give a little bit of a sense of what the purpose or ultimate objective of the book was. Okay, so I talked a little bit about how our church believes it's a restoration church. Mm -hmm. Also, we believe that women have always been an integral part of that restoration. I see. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of women or women's voices or stories included in church curriculum. Mm -hmm. And that is partly because it's the typical way of history to focus on men's voices and men's uh, leadership and institutional activity. Mm-hmm. Catherine Breckis talks a lot about this in her book, Strangers and Pilgrims, where she talks about how women were preachers in early America, but their voices are sometimes lost in the archives and in the records and have not been included in institutional and other histories. Denise and I knew that these voices existed, we also knew that they needed to be found 
And so we decided to make this book as an easy reference for people who are teaching courses or giving speeches or, or sermons to be able to quickly find examples of women to include in their work. Mm. Well, it, it comes across very clearly that this is an important mission for you, Jenny, to, to bring these voices to greater attention. You were a, a fellow, a research fellow here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library in 2010, and I remember that. It was wonderful to have you here. But I had an opportunity recently to read your application for a research fellowship at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, and, and this was your proposed title for the fellowship. Guardians of History and Custodians of Culture, Mormon Women, and the Creation of a Usable Past. So the, the question that naturally surfaces for me is, why go to the Mary Baker Eddy Library for a research project on Mormon women? That is a great question. And that also, I think, is one of the, the biggest hurdles we face as historians of Mormon history is that we're very insular. And part of my training at George Mason University, my purpose in going outside of Utah or even the Intermountain West was to gain a greater sense of context. Mm -hmm. So my title, Guardians of History and Custodians of Culture, now this was an early title of my dissertation, but it was based on sort of Victorian American concepts and roles for women and women's sphere. Mm -hmm. And so my intent was to be able to contextualize that and how were Mormon women similar or different from other women. I was specifically drawn to the Christian science uh, based tradition and, and history because of the role of Mary Baker Eddy and as a woman and as a very significant female leader. Mm -hmm along the same lines as Anne Lee with the Shakers and Ellen White with the Seventh-day Adventists. Right. So I just wanted to get an idea of where women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints fit into this larger American culture, because certainly they, they weren't separated, they weren't isolated from that culture. Hmm. Well, also in your application, you stated the following, quote, uh, both institutions, and you're referring to the... Um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the Christian Science Church. So you write, research at this library will foster relationships between these two influential American religious traditions, unquote. So I'd love to dive right into that idea of uh, what did you discover in terms of what would constitute a relationship between these two influential American religious traditions? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we can look at, mm -hmm. and I think um, mainly that there's sort of two two ideas that I've been thinking a lot about. One of them is the the concept of God, mm -hmm. um, and I know the Christian Science Church and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints looks at um, sort of this dual God father and mother. So I think that is a huge similarity. And the role of women in the inherent gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I want to start maybe with the mother church. It mm -hmm. is incredible. Oh, that's one of my favorite churches. I love it. Okay. But I loved the way that um, the stained glass had these beautiful portraits of women from the Bible. I love that the mother church has a predominant illustrations of women in the windows. 
And that, I think, is significant and beautiful. I loved it. We don't have stuff like that in our, in our faith tradition. Mm. Well, that, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's something that um, our next podcast episode will be about, and that is how the, what we call the extension or the bigger church that's on our uh-huh. property here yeah. completely went away from that kind of depiction. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that was, at least according to this scholar, deliberate and intentional not to repeat what had been done with the original Mother Church with those depictions of the feminine in those Mm -hmm. uh, stained glass windows. So thank you for helping us to preview that next uh, episode. Oh, good. Listen next time for this. I will listen too. (laughs) Oh, good. But one of the things that you you clearly focus on in your book, Witness of Women, uh, Mm -hmm. firsthand experiences and testimonies, from the Restoration is testimony, and that is such a um, significant part of Christian science practice as well as the history of the Christian science church. So I'd be curious what you discovered in that respect about how testimony in the Christian science tradition and Christian science practice compares and contrasts with it in Mormon practice or in in the practice and history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. So there's a there's an interesting phrase in a revelation that was given to Emma Smith in the in the Mormon Church, who was the wife of Joseph Smith, the prophet, mm-hmm. in eighteen thirty. It's in section twenty-five of our Doctrine and Covenants, where she is given this charge to be a comfort to her husband, mm-hmm. to collect him, sacred him, to act as a scribe, but also and this is what I think is unique, is to expound the Scripture and exhort the Church. Mm-hmm. And I think this is actually a phrase fraught with meaning. Mm-hmm. I looked it up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, where I learned that expound means to lay open or to, to make clear, to remove from obscurity, and that's exactly what I think Mary Baker Eddy is doing in her reading of the New Testament and her reading of understanding how healing happens and the, the science behind the, the gospel and the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. So the second part of that charge was to exhort the Church, and the Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines exhorting as to encourage or embolden to cheer. So those are two different things. I think one means to preach, and the other means to inspire. Mm. Now, looking at Emma Smith, we know she came from a Methodist tradition, and the Methodists were an evangelical religion. Mm -hmm. However, by the time she came around um, in 1830, this is the later end of the Second Great Awakening, the Methodists were really, really encouraging the idea of a trained clergy. Mm-hmm. which would be the expounding part. So it made her, I think, a little bit uncomfortable to be called upon to expound and exhort. So this charge comes in 1830, and it isn't really until 1842 with the creation of the Nauvoo Female Relief Society, where Emma Smith is the first president, where she really becomes adept and comfortable at expounding. And she does that in a location that is just for females. So what are the differences and similarities between Emma Smith and Mary Baker Eddy? I think one of them is Mary Baker Eddy is much more adept and more comfortable. And perhaps this is also because it's 50 years later. 
mm-hmm. in American history and in American context. And this is after the beginning of the women's rights movement in the middle of the suffrage movement. So you have more women's voices mm-hmm. in public. But I also think that later on at this time, the same time as Mary Baker Eddy, you have such figures in in Mormon history as Eliza R. Snow and Emmeline B. Wells. And these are women that also are encouraging women to exhort and expound. Mm-hmm. And so that period of time, I think you see this change between a fear of exhorting and expounding and sort of a new confidence and expectation in exhorting and expounding. I'm curious, were there testimonies with members of the Christian Science Church that stood out to you in comparison or in contrast with Mormon women? I remember examining a collection of China plates. Mm-hmm. which was a very popular thing at the time. You have that at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, but also you have that with uh, Mormon women in Salt Lake City and in other places. Mm-hmm. But so many of those depictions in the Mary Baker Eddy Library collection of China show women as the healers and women sitting at the beds of sick men or sick children. Mm-hmm. And so I think that says a lot about the place and the witness and the testimony of women. Right. Well, you know, you bring up the subject of healing, and that was something that called out to me from the book, The Witness of Women, First-Hand Experiences and Testimonies from the Restoration. There were at least five or six entries that were really um, significant healings that were presented. And there is a section of your book that has a subtitle of Healing Within a Chapter, on gifts, yes. gifts of the Spirit. Yes. And so I'm just curious about uh, that tradition of spiritual healing in Mormon history. W- was it significant? I mean, you do, you do address it in the, in the book. Yes, it was significant, and it's such a rich tradition, and I'm so glad you asked me about it. Mm. I also think it's a really great connection with Christian, the Church of, of Christ Science, and this idea of healing. Again, with the Restorationist churches in the Second Great Awakening, you have attention that's paid to these spiritual gifts listed in the Book of Mark as signs that follow those that believe. So we have examples of Mormon women healing um, as early as the 1830s and 18, mostly the 1840s. In 1842, with the creation of the Relief Society, the Nauvoo Female Relief Society, we have women that are administering and healing. Um, Joseph Smith tells them that they have every right to seek after that spiritual gift. Mm. So in thinking about your work, Jenny, we couldn't help but um, think of our own little modest effort at gathering histories of women that we present as part of a blog on our website. It's called Women of History. And, uh-huh. and they're profiles of different women, mostly Christian scientists, whose stories are interesting, compelling, unique in different different ways. And and one that, that sort of stood out to me in comparison with that of Emmeline Wells, who, who yeah. you were discussing, is this woman called Florence Alden Gregg in our Women of History blog. And she um, had a very, very successful career as a scholar. She was on the faculty at Smith College. Um, she mm-hmm. published a, a, a books. What it led to with the blog was parsing this idea that 
scholarly effort, development of the intellect was not necessarily something that one should be cautious about as an interference to openness of heart in one's faith. Um, mm-hmm. And so Mary Baker Eddy was, was asked about this, whether she uh, thought that secular education would conflict with the purity of religious practice. And Eddie was asked if she agreed, and, and she, this was her response. No, she said with emphasis. I wish every student I have had a college education. I want them to be able to talk intelligently with educated thinking people everywhere. And, um, you know, that to me really brought to mind this quote from Emmeline Wells in, in your book. Yeah, so this is um, something, uh, Wells was editor of the Women's Exponent, a journal for Mormon women, and this was published, I believe, in the Women's Exponent. Mm -hmm. And, And in it, she writes this, quote, I believe in women, especially thinking women. Are we human beings, rational and accountable, and yet permit to lie dormant the highest faculty of our nature, thought? Alas, we see it every day. But there is a day dawning when we will be better understood, if not appreciated. Woman, begin to feel and understand that there is something elevating and inspiring, worth living for, worthy of attainment, even though their husbands do not pet them. And then Wells picks it up a little later and says uh, the following quote, Let us not falter by the wayside, but stimulating, strengthening, encouraging, and sympathizing with each other continue to cultivate and improve our reasoning and reflecting faculties, not only to add to our happiness here, but our eternal felicity hereafter. End of the quote. So I think you see in that very emboldening language, but also that consonance that uh, developing one's abilities, talents, faculties, agrees with fulfilling divine and spiritual purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I, I just want to quickly point out in um, At the Pulpit, which is available online at the churchhistorianspress.org, um, there is a talk in 1895 by a woman named Sarah Kimball, mm. and she talks about our sixth sense. She's a very intellectual woman, but she talks about this need also for developing this sense above and outside of ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, I just think that's such an important message for women of all kinds today that when, that your thoughts and intellect are so valuable and so important and contribute so much. Mm. Well, thank you so much and and certainly you are an example of that, uh Jenny. So <laughs> we're, Thank you. Um it's really been great to spend time with you to learn from you, Jenny. Uh we really appreciate it. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seekers and Scholars on women's voices in Mormon and Christian science history, commonalities and differences. Our guest was Dr. Jennifer Reeder, 19th century women's history specialist in the church history department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please join us for our next episode when we welcome Dr. Jean Kildee for a discussion on gender, spirituality, and the architecture of the Mother Church. We alighted a little bit on this topic spontaneously in our conversation with Dr. Jennifer Reeder, 
when she commented on how impressed she was by the strong representation of women from the Bible in the stained glass windows in the original edifice of the Mother Church in Boston. In our conversation with Dr. Kildee, we'll be drawing upon her research conducted here at the Mary Bakerty Library when she was a fellow in 2004. We'll be discussing her article, which is titled Material Expression and Maternalism in Mary Baker Eddy's Boston Churches, How Architecture and Gender Compromised Mind. It received the 2005 Jane Dempsey Douglas Prize from the American Society of Church History as the best article on the history of women and Christianity. Kildee is director of the Religious Studies Program at the University of Minnesota. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast is produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2019.